for Monday, June 15th, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, COVID-19 has been with us for about six months now. There's still a lot we don't know about the new disease, though we have learned some things. It's become very clear to me in this pandemic that the political class isn't going to lead us out of the pandemic. It's going to be the people demanding real effective leadership from our federal government, from our state governments. Dr. Ashish Jha, director of the Harvard Global Health Institute, joins me for a look at what we do know about the coronavirus at this point and what we don't. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. It's been about six months since SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, has been with us. And in the time since, we've learned a lot about this particular coronavirus, though there are still some important questions that remain unanswered. Dr. Ashish Jha is director of the Harvard Global Health Institute. He's with me now to discuss what we've learned about the coronavirus so far and what we still don't know. Dr. Jha, thanks for talking with me. I'm happy to do it. Thanks for having me on. Six months into this pandemic, what are kind of the big things that you feel we have learned about this virus, how it spreads, and and how it makes people sick? It's actually a pretty remarkably short period of time. I assume most Americans hadn't even heard of this virus until sometime in maybe late January. And yet it has obviously completely changed everything in our lives. And what is amazing about this is how much the scientific community has really taught us about what is happening with the virus. So, you know, we first sort of found out that there was what looked like a kind of a viral pneumonia happening in China uh, on December 31st. So really, if you think about it, in the beginning of this year, pretty soon we got the virus genome sequenced. We immediately, within a few days, developed a test that test became widely available in much of the world, though not in the U.S. We uh, sort of bungled our testing infrastructure. But by the end of January, large, uh, many, many places in the world could start doing testing on a regular basis. And then over the next few months, we've learned a lot. So one of the big things we've learned and probably the most frustrating thing is how much variation there is in how people experience being infected by this virus. Um, we think maybe up to 20% of people, one out of five, uh, who are infected, never feel anything. They have no symptoms, or or if they have any symptoms at all, it's very, very mild. And then 
uh, about one out of a hundred people end up dying from the virus. And you get everything in between. And, and that is unusual. There are very few viruses, very few infections where there's that much variation uh, in how people experience it. The other thing we've learned is that there is a good amount of asymptomatic transmission. This is what makes controlling this virus so hard. And most viruses, you know, when you think about the Ebola virus, for instance, the big thing about Ebola was until you develop symptoms, you really weren't contagious. And that made it much easier to control. That is not true with this virus. We know that there are a substantial number of people spreading this without symptoms. What are some other big things that we have learned about this virus and this disease? One of the things we're learning, um, one of the scarier things is that we're learning that even people who recover, uh, some proportion of them end up having pretty substantial sort of immunologic and other types of complications. We saw this with the kids, a very small number of kids um, who've had the virus uh, seem to develop this very severe immunologic response. Uh, what we sort of call the Kawasaki's-like disease that people have been talking about. So that's, again, thankfully rare, but but a pretty serious complication. We didn't even know about that two, three months ago. We've really only started seeing that. And we're seeing adult versions of that as well. But there's some also good news here, right? We now have a treatment that's really remarkable. We have one therapy. It, it may not feel like a lot, but to not only identify the virus, but then to identify one therapy for the virus, that's a big deal, and that's remdesivir. Uh, there are a whole bunch of other therapies that are being tested right now. And of course, the other thing we've done is we've made remarkable progress on a vaccine. And you know, vaccines usually take five to 10 years. And here we are just a few months into this pandemic. And we're cooking along, nowhere near done, but cooking along on getting a vaccine. So uh, a lot of progress. These are things that we do know, but I, I also think it's important to just highlight that there is still a lot that we don't know about this virus. What are some of the kind of big outstanding questions that you yourself are kind of curious about? Despite all of the stuff we have learned, there's probably more that we don't know than what we do know. Some people do so well with the virus and other people end up getting super sick and dying. I don't understand that. And it may have something to do with the immune system. It may have something to do with the size of the kind of inoculum, how much virus you initially were infected with. It may have, I mean, we know things like age and comorbid conditions influence that, but it's still remarkable to me how much variation there is. Second is I told you that I said, I, you know, there's some data that maybe up to half of people who get infected got it from an asymptomatic person. That's a guess based on very preliminary data. It could be 20%. It could be higher than 50%. So we need to understand asymptomatic spread. We need to understand exactly, uh, you know, why it happens. It's a very unusual thing in a virus. And so there's a lot around spread that we don't know. There's a lot around why people react the way they do that we don't know. There's a lot about, you know, we, increasingly I'm coming to understand that being outside is much, much better than being inside. Uh, is that just a temperature thing? I don't think so. I think there may be other factors. Uh, we don't totally understand that. So there are a whole set of things that we need to learn about this virus. And I think, given how quickly science is moving, I think in the upcoming weeks and months, we're going to learn a lot of this stuff. Talking about asymptomatic spread gets me thinking about whether or not we even at this point have a clear picture of everyone who has been sick, everyone who is currently sick. Talk with me a little bit about your take on our country's ability to really perform disease surveillance with the COVID-19, because it seems like we still don't know everyone who is sick with this thing and everyone who's been sick. 
Yeah, absolutely. So here's, here's the way I think about it. Right now, we have about 2 million people who've been identified in the United States as having had coronavirus. If you ask me, what's my best guess of how many people actually have been infected, not, not just people who've been identified, um, it's probably 10 to 15 times that number, uh, which means that we've missed, you know, 90, 95% of the cases out there. Many of them might have been people who were mild. Many of it because we just didn't have a testing infrastructure that could get those people tested. Uh, for months, we told people, even if you're really sick, unless you're at death's door, don't come in and don't get tested. And that's because we so botched our testing apparatus that uh, we just couldn't test people. That's gotten a bit better, but still not where it needs to be. So again, my take is, you know, probably 20 million Americans, maybe 30 million Americans have been infected with this virus already. And thankfully, most of them have recovered uh, pretty well. And one of the many reasons is the testing. And then we just don't, we have been cutting our public health budgets year after year after year for a long time. And then we find ourselves in the middle of a pandemic with a very uh, meager public health infrastructure with excellent people with very little resources. And so we just have not been able to respond effectively. We've seen states all around the country start to open up and let people return back to, you know, quote unquote, normal life, a new normal. What is your take on kind of the effect that this is going to have as we move into this next six months with the coronavirus, thinking specifically about states opening up? We're six months in and, you know, I often use the baseball uh, game analogy and I say, this is going to be an 18-month pandemic if everything goes well. Um, so things are going to start coming back to normal probably by next May or June. If that's right, so then we're kind of finishing the, you know, the bottom of the third inning here. What do the next three innings look like? What does kind of July through December look like? A couple of things. One is states, as you said, have started opening up. And what we're seeing right now is about 20 states uh, with cases really increasing. Another 20 states where they, they're continuing to come down, partly because those states have uh, stayed closed uh, much longer and they're opening up much more slowly. And so right now the country is kind of flat, but that's because we have a tale of two countries. We have one set of states where the number of cases are spiking and another number of states where the cases are falling. As we open up, those numbers will sort of go up everywhere. And the question is, what are they going to do to control it? How are they going to, you know, how are they going to curtail and tame the virus spread? And it's really not clear to me that states have a very clear plan on this. And the more they open up, the more we're going to accelerate spread of this virus. And I am deeply worried that over the next three months, we're going to muddle along lots of cases and things are not going to be great. And I, you know, I, I've sort of, as I look at the numbers, about 800 to 1,000 Americans are dying every day. And I worry that some point in September, we're going to cross the 200,000 mark. And then we'll still have the fall and winter to go. And, and the more time we spend indoors, the colder the weather gets, uh, the number of cases will likely ramp up. And so unless we do things very differently, the next six months, I suspect, are going to be pretty hard. I would not be surprised if we get to 250 or even 300,000 deaths by the end of the calendar year. And of course, that's horrible. And I think it's completely preventable. The question is, are we going to muster the political will to prevent it? Or are we just going to kind of let it go? What can and should states, the federal government, be doing to kind of keep that future from, from becoming a reality? 
You know, the federal government, uh, the White House task force put out a really nice set of guidelines on opening up America again. And they had some very good principles about how to open up safely. And about half the states just ignored it. There were two main principles. One was you had to see declining number of cases for 14 days. Uh, and that's really a way of saying you're, you're on top of the virus and you've got the virus under control. And the second was that states needed to have a really robust testing and tracing infrastructure. Those were the two cr- main criteria that the White House task force under President Trump laid out. So this was what the White House was recommending. As I said, half the states didn't follow the first part. And there are very few states that have the second part. So here we are. We kind of didn't follow the White House guidelines. And now we're starting to, at least in a lot of places, look like we're getting into trouble. And states have a few options. They can ignore it for a little while longer until things get really out of control, at which point the only choice they'll have is to shut back down again. I think we can all agree that is what we want to avoid. Or they can get aggressive. They can ramp back some of the social distancing stuff. So maybe, you know, have to, have to go all the way back to shelter in place, but maybe, you know, really think about restaurants and bars and think about things like that and what you can do to curtail the virus by having less of that kind of activity. The other thing is, you know, states really have to go further on testing and tracing. Uh, states can't do this alone. And more or less what we've been seeing out of the White House, you know, we don't hear from the White House task force anymore. Uh, we don't get much guidance from the from the federal government anymore. It's going to be very, very hard for states to control these viral outbreaks if the federal government does not help and is really uh, signals that they're done with this pandemic. And, and I'm worried that the federal government is sort of losing interest in the pandemic. It also seems like people are losing interest in the pandemic, too. Talk with me a little bit about what would be required of people to say shelter in place again and, and whether you have a sense that there is any appetite for, for something like that? Yeah. So one of the things I've been trying to say to folks is, you know, the reason we shut down the country in mid-March, there, there were basically two related reasons. One was we just didn't have much of a testing infrastructure. So we couldn't figure out where the infections were, who was infected, who was not. And second, we just ignored the virus for six weeks from kind of mid-January all the way into early March. We acted like it wasn't there. We acted like it was just the flu. We acted like it was going to magically disappear. And this is a virus that doesn't really care whether you ignore it or whether you're going to try to, you know, tough it out. The virus is pretty tough. Its mortality rate is probably five to 10 times worse than the flu. It's a pretty serious virus. And the other part is ignoring it makes the virus spread. And what happened by mid-March was we got to a point where things were out of control and we had to shut the whole country down. So what I've been saying to folks is if we do the same thing, we don't do any more ramping up of testing, we kind of are tired and we just want to get back to our lives. It'll be fine for four, six weeks. But there will come a moment when you have exponential growth, when your hospitals get full, your nurses and doctors start getting sick. There's no more room in any of your hospitals. And the number of cases is crushing. And that's the point where testing and tracing and and mild social distancing no longer work. And then you got to do full-on shelter in place. And so my question to people is, why do we want to do that? Why do we want to box ourselves into that corner again? It's not like it's going to magically disappear. That's what's going to happen if we don't act smartly. And I think we can act smartly. And I think we have the capacity to avoid that. I want to avoid that at all costs. But it's not going to happen magically on its own. 
this seems to be a moment where people are looking at our response, both at the individual, the state, the federal level, and saying, oh, well, this is what it says about us as a country. Can you draw any big conclusions about how we've handled this situation over the last six months? So a few reflections. First is that the scientific community has done an extraordinary job in terms of what they have pulled together, the biologists, the virologists, the immunologists, all those uh, men and women who are doing an extraordinary job. Our, our scientific response on this has been you know, sort of second to none. Second is it is remarkable to me that something like a pandemic has gotten politicized where you know, if you wear a mask or don't wear a mask, that somehow says something about your political leanings. That's insane. There is a whole host of countries that are doing an amazing job. You know, New Zealand, they have like full-on sports with 50,000 fans in the, in the stadium because they got no coronavirus because they actually brought the cases down to zero. When I look at Germany, the schools are open, the economy's coming back, uh, things are looking uh, up. And when I talk to business leaders about what the future of America holds, there's just a sense that our political class has gotten so into fighting each other and winning the daily news cycle that they've lost track of the fact that this is costing us tens of thousands of lives every month. It's killing our economy and it's completely unnecessary. And I, whatever you believe, whether you believe in big government or small government, I think we all believe in an effective government, a government that's got to work when we need it. And we're just not seeing that right now. We're seeing it from some states, but we're not seeing it at the federal level. Uh, we're not seeing it from the White House and we're not seeing it from Congress in a way that we really need. And it worries me about the future of our country's ability to deal with crises. You know, reasonable people can disagree about whether the government should be in this or that, but who doesn't think that like we should let science drive what we do in response to a pandemic. And yet we are seeing politicization uh, on this topic in a way that I find uh, deeply disturbing. And I want to get through this with the fewest number of lives lost and the, and the, you know, the most robust economy we can. That's kind of a bleak uh, outlook for the future then. No, I mean, look, it, politics ultimately responds to people, right? Politicians, what they care about, number one, two, and three is being reelected. They don't, I mean, majority of politicians don't seem to have much in the way of courage to do what's right. And they just, they're, they're thinking, you know, how do I get reelected? Well, guess what? We get to decide who gets reelected. And so if we decide that we're going to hold people accountable for saving lives and saving the economy, uh, then our political class will change. But that's going to have to come from us. It's become very clear to me in this pandemic that the political class isn't going to lead us out of the pandemic. It's going to be the people demanding real effective leadership from our federal government, from our state governments. And when that happens, the politicians will respond. Or if they don't, we'll get new ones. Uh, but it's going to have to come from the people. Dr. Ashish Jha is director of the Harvard Global Health Institute. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. 
Thanks for listening. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.